Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Oh. oh, hey everyone. Thanks for clicking that play button on whatever streaming platform you are using. Before we get into this week's episode, I have a few more people to thank for supporting me endlessly. Listening every week, sharing my podcast with friends and family, it is the best way to show me support. And as a micro teeny tiny podcast just starting out, that is so important to me so I can grow and I can build an audience. So thank you to, drumroll, Samantha. (laughs) She has been telling her friends about Hell No. She has been listening and she has been boosting my confidence every step of the way. I would also like to thank another listener. That's right. Double thank you today. Drum roll. And since day one, I know he's been listening. Thank you, Aaron. He listens to Hell No in his car to work, from work, everything in between. So I am so happy to be in your ear for your drive time. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone listening and sharing and telling your friends about the podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, so this week's case, it it's a lot. It does deal with sexual assault, abuse, and there are brutal murders involved. So I do want to say that warning at the beginning. I will say it Again, this episode is particularly graphic in nature and may be highly unsuitable to some listeners. It deals with horrific violence against women, sexual assault, and murder. But I will say now, there is justice in this case. But even though there's justice, it it can't bring people back. Here we go. Tampa Bay area, Florida, 1984, America. It was seeing the rampant work of a serial killer targeting women. I'm talking body after body after body. It would take eight months, the discovery of eight bodies, maybe some more, and one woman who got away before he was caught. Even after he was arrested, more bodies were discovered. Police believe they will never truly know how many victims this killer had. The beginning of the end for this madman started on May 13th in 1984, when the body of 19-year-old Lana Long was discovered by children playing in a field by a highway. Lana, she had immigrated to America from Laos with her mother when she was 10 years old. She was absolutely stunned. Dunning. She was gorgeous. She had goals to study fine art and cinema. I, I bet she would have did amazing at this as well. And in the meantime, she was making some extra cash, having a good time, working as a dancer, an exotic dancer at the Sly Fox Lounge on Nebraska Avenue. We will hear this street name a lot throughout this episode. Nebraska Avenue was the club and bar street in Tampa and it was also a bit of a red light district. It's not uncommon for serial killers to use areas like this as a hunting ground as people are drinking, they have their guard down, their inhibitions are lowered, they can easily be lured into strangers vehicles for multiple reasons. Police arrive to the scene 
to find an unknown woman murdered and displayed in a sexually suggestive manner. Her legs had been pulled apart so far that her hips were dislocated. She was nude, she was bound, and had cord tied around her neck. In some sources I read, it said she had a white scarf tied around her neck as if she was choked with that and other sources say that that scarf was found under her body tied in a knot possibly suggesting it was used to bind her as well due to being exposed to the elements they could not confirm rape but it was highly probable police find tire tread marks and also after combing the scene and the evidence so they're combing the scene they comb the evidence they find red carpet fibers either on the victim or on her clothes and her clothes were were scattered around her nearby police are looking at the scene and they will grow to know this scene this mo all too well The tread patterns left from the tires were copied by making them into molds and sent to a forensics team to be examined. This is really good evidence because the vehicle who was responsible for leaving the body there had several different types of tires on it, one of which just happened to be a pretty rare tire. I think they called it like a Vogue or something, and it was actually like a handmade tire that was standard on Cadillacs but then there was like random tires on this car some sources say two different types of tires some sources say three different types of tires so it was for sure two so I'm gonna go with that through fingerprints they eventually ID the body as Lana this makes it into the news and Lana's boyfriend calls police and says that's my girlfriend and I haven't seen her in a few days and police are like, okay, we're going to question you because you know why. So they question him and he's like, well, I didn't think it was weird that I hadn't seen her in a few days because we had a fight and she left. Um, so her boyfriend just thought, oh, she's ignoring me or she's staying at friend's house or whatever. He obviously was a person of interest after this, but he was soon cleared after the second body was discovered only two weeks later. This was an extremely familiar scene to police, almost exact to Lana's. A young woman was found murdered near an overpass by a highway. Again, neither woman had... So so in both murders, neither of these women, Lana and this new body found, had been concealed or attempted to be buried. Uh, And like Lana, this woman was nude, her clothes near her body. She had been tied at her wrists and she had a noose around her neck. This woman had had her throat sliced so violently and with so much intent, she was almost beheaded. She had been raped, beaten, and strangled. It was an act of extreme violence and it showed so much hatred police again found the same tire tread patterns at the scene and the same red fibers at this scene but this time they had also found hair that what that didn't belong to the victims upon testing the hair it was concluded it was from a white male they also found a green shirt at the scene that they believed belonged to the murderer so with that information they could now build 
a profile. They knew immediately these murders were related and committed by the same person. And since forensic profiling was gaining traction, they decided to use it and see what the FBI would have to say about who they were looking for. The woman was eventually ID'd as 22-year-old Michelle Sims. And Michelle, like Lana, gorgeous. So gorgeous. Michelle was a former beauty queen pageantress. What? Was that a word? She was a former beauty queen. Let's just say that. Okay. She had big, beautiful eyes that reminded me of Christina Ricci. And anybody who knows me, you know I love Christina Ricci. So that's a huge compliment. Michelle was working as a receptionist at the time of her murder. But she had also fallen into some... Mm, dangerous habits let's just say that and it was reported she would regularly use drugs and was also known to earn some extra money as a sex worker she would hang out on nebraska avenue often and frequent bars and, and pick up clients there and that's the same street where lana worked as a dancer at sly fox lounge so we've got a we've got a lot of connections happening between these two victims the fbi put together a profile on who they thought that they should be looking for and this profile was fully published in a book called bound to die by anna flowers so my first question about this book was is anna flowers and ashley flowers related i don't know if you guys are into crime junkie but that's kind of uh, um that is ashley flowers podcast um, and she has like a whole production company called audio chuck and they do true crime uh also she has a, a, a like a, a non-profit organization that you can donate to that help to solve cold cases so she's amazing so i see this true crime writer named anna flowers and i'm like i wonder if they're related i looked i couldn't find anything online about it anyways side note this book bound to die by anna flowers and i tried to source this book but it was going to take me months to get so instead i listened to a podcast called always time for true crime and she had read the book for her podcast so i did source some information from that which i will link in my show notes of course and i encourage you to check out that podcast always time for true crime it's really good i also watched three documentaries on these crimes and I also read what felt like hundreds of news articles, which I will also link in my show notes. Okay, it wasn't 100, but I just felt like it was a lot of news articles on this, which because it, it was highly publicized. So I couldn't get the book, but I, I used numerous sources, tons of sources, double checking facts. Yeah, wanted that book though. The profile written by the FBI said the murderer is opportunistic a white male, early 20s, extrovert, manipulative, aggressive, argumentative, emotionless, lies constantly, change jobs a lot, divorced, commits cruelty to animals, and will kill again. The list was apparently very, very long. Like it was a very extensive profile they put together. So over a month later, after Lana and Michelle's body were, was discovered, another body was discovered on June 24th. Dental records were needed to confirm the identity of 22-year-old Elizabeth Ludenbach. She was in advanced stages of decomposition um, from, the, from the natural elements, and in fact, there was only 25 pounds of her remains left. Elizabeth's crime scene was unlike the others as she was discovered in an orange grove not near a highway and she was 
fully clothed, but it did have similarities. She was raped, she was strangled, and also there were tiny red fibers found on her clothing, just like the ones found on Lana and Michelle. Elizabeth worked at a factory not on Nebraska Avenue, but she did, however, live very close to that street. So again, police make the connection that all three women either worked, hung out, or lived near Nebraska Avenue. uh, Her mother had reported her missing two weeks earlier when Elizabeth never came home after the weekend. Elizabeth lived with her mother and her mother knew her daughter well you know it was her mother and she she knew that her daughter was epileptic and she also knew that her daughter didn't have her medication with her a medication that she had to take three times a day so this means that elizabeth she would have been murdered around june 8th police are really interested in nebraska avenue and they start watching that street for anything suspicious they talk to women who who work there they warn them about the murderer who may be using that street to hunt women they ask for any information they might have but nothing pans out and for three months nothing happens the killings stop no bodies are discovered and police start to wonder if the killer has moved on to another hunting ground maybe in another state another county because they know someone like this isn't gonna just stop killing they don't just stop October 7th, another young woman's body is discovered, this time by a cattle field. They managed to ID the victim through fingerprints as 18-year-old Chanel Williams. Chanel was last seen September 30th and was known to pick up clients on Nebraska Avenue. Chanel was also a sex worker. Chanel, she was found nude, beaten, raped, strangled, and shot. So this was the first time they had seen this serial killer shoot a victim uh, which police found odd that he was changing his his ritual also chanel hadn't been bound investigators yet again find the same red fibers from all of the other crime scenes on chanel's clothing which was located around her body they also find the pubic hair from a white male at the scene In every source I read and watched about these murders, they all say that because Chanel Williams was black, it didn't fit the killer's profile because he targeted white women and that serial killers rarely cross racial boundaries. I'm talking every single source says this. But to me, I was like, okay, well, they now have four bodies. And out of the four women, two were white because they were saying, oh, well, he targets white women. Lana was Laotian and... She was also the first body discovered. So I'm not sure why every source said this because clearly the serial killer is targeting women. Race has nothing to do with this. And I think we could see this within the first three murders. So I don't know why it was until after Chanel's murder that they were like, oh, he's crossing racial boundaries. Well, actually he did that within his first two victims that were found. So yeah, his hatred was for all women. His hatred was for all women. Basically, young women he hated them he wanted to kill them one week later police are faced with another young woman's body discovered this is now the fifth body where police have found the same red fibers on the victim's clothing or body the body was eventually id'd as 28 year old karen dinsfriend she had been found bound beaten and strangled her body was wrapped in bedding and dumped in an orange grove this is now the second body the killer has dumped in an orange grove 
orange grove but the first one that has been wrapped up in a blanket so again we're seeing something different here Karen, she was also known to work on Nebraska Avenue as a sex worker and pick up and, and meet clients there. So the connection to Nebraska Avenue now, it is strong. This is clearly where he's getting all of his victims from. By the last day of October, another young woman's body would be discovered, making it three bodies in only one month with a total of six this serial killer was gaining momentum he was killing faster and faster he was evolving he was experimenting it seemed in regards to disposal and technique october 31st the remains of a young woman were found near the side of the highway these remains were also very badly decomposed and appeared to have been there in the elements for a month before discovered police were able to salvage finger prints and make an ID from that. This woman was 22-year-old Kimberly Hops. Kimberly was also known as Sugar and she did hang out on Nebraska Avenue and that is where uh, she would meet and pick up clients as well. So it's believed it's possible she did get into the murderer's vehicle willingly with the idea that he was just another client. Why was the killer amping up? Did something happen in his life around this time that was a what they call a stressor and made him want to go on a spree? We will find that out later. We will find out later that before Kimberly Hobbs and before Karen, but after Chanel, there was another warm woman murdered by the same man, but her body was not yet discovered. This now brings us to his seventh abduction. Well, at the time it was known as the seventh, but in reality, we will never know. This is when the case takes a turn because she may be the youngest, but she's the one who got away and survived. Not only that, but she helps police to eventually catch the monster behind all of this. 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh worked near Nebraska Avenue in a bakery, and on November 3rd, 1984, she finished work at 2 a.m. after doing a double shift. Lisa rode her bike to and from work, and that night she was riding home, and she notices a vehicle in the church parking lot, because it's the only one sitting there. The parking lot is vacant except for this red car. This red Dodge Magnum car. I'm going to say it right now. Lisa is incredibly observant and smart. Her will to survive is incredible. Considering a few days earlier, she was contemplating taking her own life and had even written suicide notes. Lisa had had a hard life and she was only 17 years old. She had been in and out of foster care and some of those homes were abusive. When she finally got placed back with her mother, she was sent away to live with her grandmother and her grandmother's boyfriend. And there she was subject to sexual abuse for years from him from her grandmother's boyfriend and what is most disgusting is that the grandmother knew about it and did nothing to stop it or to help Lisa so for years Lisa was being sexually abused and it seemed like there was no way out later in interviews Lisa will say that it's because of her experiences she was able to get away from the murderer and not be killed she used the methods that she had taught herself during all those years of abuse she used all of that and it it saved her life as she is biking home that night a man jumps out and pushes her off her bike and puts a gun to her and forces her inside his vehicle the red 
Dodge Magnum. Once inside the vehicle, he blindfolds her and makes her take off her clothes and demands oral sex from her at gunpoint. Lisa knows that if she fights, she's dead, so she complies. The man then drives her to his apartment, makes her get dressed, and walks her into his apartment blindfolded. But what he didn't know is that Lisa could see slightly out of her blindfold, enough to take in bits of her surroundings and where they might be. She notices a wooded area near the apartments. She knew they had been on a highway because the vehicle was going fast. She was trying to see and remember as much as possible, like businesses, signs, everything. She was taking every every bit of information in. Lisa, it seemed like Lisa had been able to train her brain through years of abuse to stay calm. So instead of panicking, she stayed present. She remembered things, which is fucking hard. This woman, wow. Once inside his apartment, he then changed his demeanor. He undressed Lisa, put her in the shower, still blindfolded, and started bathing her gently like he was caring for her. Lisa, she was staying calm and she's manipulating the man by asking him why he's doing this. She wasn't being aggressive. She was being like, uh, like showing sympathy and he confides in her saying he's had a bad breakup and that he hates women and she says like well I can be your girlfriend and I won't tell people how we met and Lisa is acting like she isn't threatened and in fact likes him and thinks that he's a nice guy she's playing into this this is smart because now she's humanized herself to him and showed him kindness and I'm a good woman that I you know I won't hurt you Um, The killer then takes Lisa's hands and allows her to touch his face gently because she's blindfolded, but for some reason he wants her to know him a little bit better. From this, Lisa feels his features and remembers everything about his face. Unfortunately, his kind demeanor it dropped again. This guy is like Jackal Hyde situation here. Uh, And he throws Lisa out of the shower and he violently rapes her. Over the next 25 hours, Lisa was subject to horrific rape and abuse. During this time, she gets him to confide in her, to like keep talking to her. And she also makes up a story that possibly changed his mind um, when it came to killing her. And what she tells him is so incredibly smart. This woman would be a champion chess player let me tell you lisa tells him that she is the sole caregiver for her sickly father and that her father needs her to survive which is it's just so crazy smart because she didn't say her mother needs her she said her father needs her and to the killer who hates women so much this is the only way to make him see value in her because a man needs her she takes care of a man in his in his eyes she is another man's belonging she belongs to another man and and he doesn't respect women but he must in some form respect men so it's just so smart i can't believe it and in such a high stress situation For her to think of that amazing plan, it just blows my mind. Lisa. 
She's amazing. The murderer shows Lisa a bit of compassion yet again and makes her food and lets her sit by the TV and listen to it because she's blindfolded. And he also allows her to go into the bathroom alone. And this is where she starts touching everything. She's just like fingerprints, 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 boom, 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 boom. She lifts up that toilet seat, fingerprints, fingerprints. Everywhere that she could get her hands, she was putting her fingerprints everywhere. She wants to be sure that there is evidence of her all over that bathroom. I'm so, again, so smart. The man eventually uh, puts Lisa to bed with him. And once in the bed, he's like touching her hair and acting like he's her boyfriend and being very gentle again. So he's switching between like violent, gentle, violent, gentle, violent, gentle. She had, she doesn't know what's coming next. She was in his apartment from around 2.30 a.m. the night she was abducted, well, early morning, to about 3.30 a.m. the next day. So 3 a.m. he gets her up out of his bed, makes her get dressed and asks her where she lives because he will drop her off near her home. Lisa cannot believe what she's hearing. Her plan worked. She is still blindfolded, but on the way out of his apartment, she counts how many steps that she has to take to exit the building. And later she tells police it was 22 steps. When the man is giving her a ride to drop her off, she takes note of the businesses she's passing. She can see through that blindfold just a little bit. Then the vehicle stops and she can hear the ATM machine being used by her abductor. And she makes a note of that. She can also see the word Magnum on the dashboard of the vehicle. These two details will be what ultimately led led police to the killer. When the man lets Lisa free, he tells her to keep her blindfold on for five minutes after he leaves. Then as he's leaving, he says, quote, take care of your father, unquote. And this just furthers my thinking that he only let her go because in his mind, she belonged to another man who needed her and would suffer without her. And it had nothing to do with, you know, liking her or having any respect for her. I think if Lisa hadn't made up that story about her father needing her, I think, um, I I think he would have killed her. I believe it was Ted Bundy who said in an interview once, once that he couldn't talk to his victims or he didn't want to learn anything about them because as soon as he would learn something about them, it would humanize them. And then he didn't want to kill them anymore uh, once he saw them as people. And that's why he never killed like female coworkers or his girlfriends or women he knew. It was always um, strange women. He never knew any of his victims previously to killing them. So that's just a little side note. Once the car drove off and Lisa was alone, she waited that five minutes. She, she, she obeyed that command and she took the blindfold off to find herself free and alive and alone. She was free, but of course she cried and I'm sure all the emotions she was holding in to survive just came pouring out. She was previous to this. She was keeping herself composed. She was keeping herself calm, but now she could allow herself to feel all that fear that she had been holding on to. So she lets it all out. She falls to the ground. She cries. I couldn't even, I can't, it's, I couldn't even imagine the situation. I couldn't even imagine the feelings that she would be feeling at that time. She makes it back to her grandmother's house and wakes them up by banging on the door. Uh, And when they answer the door and Lisa tells them what had happened, they don't fucking believe her. 
They tell her that she's a liar. The night Lisa went missing, her bike was found and they had reported her missing. And they thought that she was making up the story to like not get in trouble for not coming home because she was reported missing. You know, there was some some trouble caused about this so they were like well you would just went out with your friends or you did blah 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 we reported you missing and now you don't want to get in trouble because you didn't come home so this is absolutely horrifying for Lisa she has just been through an extremely dangerous and traumatizing situation that she had managed to escape from with her life and now her grandmother and her grandmother's piece of shit boyfriend won't believe her and they call her a liar. Lisa didn't stop there though. She goes to police and, and reports what's happened to her. And police, they don't believe her. Oh. And police, they don't believe her either. I had to back up from my um, mic because it just makes me so mad. I had to yell that. They don't believe her either, which would be so frustrating and scary for her. But she insists and eventually one police officer listens to her and all of the details she's giving them. And he says he believes her, which must have been the most beautiful thing Lisa has ever heard in her entire life. The amount of detail to her story, it was just too much for someone to make up. It was too much for this police officer to ignore. Police examine her clothing and find what? The red fibers. And they send them to be analyzed and compared to the red fibers found on the murder victims. Lisa also tells police that her grandmother's boyfriend has been sexually abusing her. And um, that asshole is eventually arrested. So Lisa, she is cleaning up and she is taking out the trash on her way out. I love you, Lisa. By the time police make a match to the red fibers that were found on Lisa and the other victims, they will have discovered two more bodies. November 6th, the body of 18-year-old Virginia Johnson was discovered in a field off the highway. Her remains were mostly bones, and they had been scattered, most likely by animals, I presume. Police found rope around her neck and arm. Her clothes were scattered around her body, and they also found the same red fibers. Virginia's body was discovered in a different county, so it was over a county line, but not far from Tampa. And police knew this was another victim of the serial killer that they were hunting. Virginia was last seen three weeks earlier and said she was going out to buy cigarettes, but she never returned. Virginia, she also used Nebraska Avenue to pick up clients. Then, on November 12th, the body of 21-year-old Kim Swan was discovered in a similar situation, except she was last seen alive only one day before her body was discovered. Kim was studying to be a medical technician, but also, like Lana, she was a dancer at the Sly Fox Lounge on Nebraska Avenue. Her body was nude, she had been beaten and bound, and was placed face down. Police found the same red fibers at the crime scene just like all the others. At this point, police have now discovered and linked eight murders to the same killer through the red fibers. And now it's confirmed that the red fibers found on Lisa, who survived, are also a match. Police take all that information that Lisa had given them, and they set out looking for the red Dodge Magnum on Nebraska Avenue. 
Previously, they had looked into Lisa's information about the information they had given them about the car that said Magnum, and they discovered, oh, it's a Dodge Magnum. And then they looked into the ATM transactions from within that area at that time that Lisa said he had used an ATM. So when they looked up people registered to Dodge Magnums in the area, there were 500 people registered, but only one name matched the ATM withdrawal on the date and time that Lisa had given them. And at 3.49 a.m. on November 4th, they discover the name and it's the only one that matches the rego. And his name is Bobby Joe Long. So now police are out looking for the Reg Dodge Magnum on Nebraska Avenue. And when they see one, they pull it over and they say it's for something else. I forget what they said it was for, but they didn't say like, oh, we suspect you of being a serial killer. It was like a traffic violation or some, I don't know, something that had happened in the area. They make up a story. When the driver hands over his ID, it reads Robert Joe Long, a.k.a. Bobby Joe Long. Police ask if they can search his vehicle and he says no. So police they let him go. They let him go because they don't have a warrant for his arrest yet, but they are working on it. And in the meantime, they don't take their eyes off him. They are following him. They survey him from that moment on because they believe he is highly dangerous, which he is. Police also know his address now and they don't need a warrant to enter a building. So they go to the apartment building that he lives in, which is located by a wooded area. They count the steps leading up to his apartment, 22 steps. While police are following Bobby Joe Long, they watch him clean out his car at a car wash and vacuum it and throw out a bag of garbage. So police swoop in, they grab the vacuum cleaner, they grab the bag of trash, they collect everything that he's just thought that he had disposed of. Because after all, one man's garbage is another man's evidence. So November 16th, police quickly get the warrant cleared to arrest him and they follow him to a movie theater while he's in the theater watching a chuck norris film police check the tires on his car and they match the molds taken from the crime scene they can also see red carpet inside the vehicle when the movie finishes and Long goes to get into his car, police ambush him and put guns in his face and get him to the ground and he submits without a fight. Police finally have the man behind all the crime scenes they have been investigating for eight months. But this will prove to be an uphill battle. While in custody, he admitted to abducting and raping Lisa McVeigh. They then questioned him about the murders and he denied them at first. But what he didn't know was all the red fibers he had left behind on his victims. And that police tested those fibers against the fibers from his car immediately after his arrest. They had an expert on standby they had flown in from washington to compare the fibers then and there police are like oh really no murders hey well tires 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 red fiber red fiber red fiber and oh look a hair was found hmm looks like yours boom bobby joe long knew at this point he was busted and he just gave up and confessed he said quote i killed all those girls all those girls in the paper i killed them unquote but there was a lot more to come including two more bodies i'm going to end this week's episode there 
Thank you for listening. This is going to be a two-parter. Um, you can find the next episode come out next week. There's just so much more to cover in the next part. I had to break this up into two. Um, thank you to everybody who has rated me on Spotify. I have a perfect five-star rating, so thank you so much. Please rate and follow me, Apple Podcast. You also have options to uh, rate and comment, I believe. I'm also on Google Podcast. Don't forget to check out the Hell No Instagram please follow me there. I also have a Facebook as well. Hell no, true crime Facebook. So I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger there and I will see you next week. Bye.